Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. If you've been following, there haven't been many podcasts because personally, my life has gone a little crazy and chaotic. So after a few months pause, I'm back and we're going to load you up um, with some great conversations here coming up into the summer, you know, spring, end of spring, end of the school year and into the summertime. And, and today I'm back for the first conversation that I'm excited to have with Stephen Carter. And Stephen Carter, if you've listened before, he was on the podcast in December when we talked about the future ready research that we did. But Stephen is the director of entrepreneurship at Cincinnati, Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy in Ohio. And, and one of the things is Stephen wrote a blog, and then I asked him to write another blog for us at Baylor. But in, in his blog, he talked about this idea of entrepreneurism. And I'm going to struggle with saying that the whole time because <laughs> my mind just wants to go to entrepreneurism. But but Stephen, in, in your blog, you set up this idea for entrepreneurialism within a school or within an organization. So help us understand, and thank you for coming back, but help Absolutely. us understand the difference between entrepreneur and entrepreneur within a school. I love it, Eric. I love it. And thank you for having me on. And I, I like that. I like that, you know, you, you kind of struggle with the two because autocorrect also struggles with those. When I write entrepreneurship, it becomes entrepreneurship, right? Because it's like, well, that's what you're talking about. And they are so similar because the mindset is the same. When we talk about entrepreneurship, what we here at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy are talking about is this idea of growth mindset, grit, redefining failure, opportunity-seeking, empathy, and effective communication. Now, those core values, those six attributes I just listed, I will tell you that is what makes someone thrive and succeed. That's what helps them add value. Now, we call it the entrepreneurial mindset. And we'll sometimes have parents push back and they say, well, you know, I don't know about that because I don't know if I want my kid to be an entrepreneur, right? I mean, starting a business out of our garage, I don't know. And, and, and that, that's kind of our point is like, look, 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 this is not about churning out entrepreneurs. This is about helping people think like entrepreneurs. Now, you can think like an entrepreneur and you can be an accountant. You can be a veterinarian. You can be a doctor. You can have a job in the corporate world. You can be an educator and think like an entrepreneur. What we call that is intrapreneurship. You are entrepreneurial minded within an organization. You're a teacher in a classroom. Guess what? you're an entrepreneur. You are attempting to sell Kellogg cereal. Guess what? You're an entrepreneur. You don't own your business, but you think about it from the perspective of how can I grow this business? That makes you intensely valuable to the leadership team of your organization. Okay. I have so many more questions, but before we, <laughs> before we go in, in the many different directions that my mind goes, the question I want you to dig at a little bit too in that because I, I, a lot of this resonates with me because of who I am and where I've been and what I've been able to do in education and in schools. But, but I want you to differentiate the difference between entrepreneurship and what most school leaders would think about the, 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 the traditional talent pipeline within the system. So Eric, the, the article that you referenced at the beginning of the podcast is an article I wrote for Intrepid Ed News. And I, I chose that platform because they were looking for something a little, little bit controversial. 
And this is a controversial topic. This flies in the face of traditional education and the way we recruit and fill spaces in our schools. We are looking for people, traditionally, we are looking for people who are thought leaders, people who have amassed certain levels of education, people who have done research, knowledge workers, right? That's the whole idea is the knowledge worker economy. That's what we're looking for, right? Because we want them to share that knowledge with students, but as we transform what we're preparing our students for, we need to transform what we are hiring for. And this is so very important to schools because schools have, have really not always taken up the charge to model themselves after businesses. We've almost seen them as separate, right? All oh, the businesses are doing this, but we're a school. We're focused on different things. I would say not so much. I would say the school, when it begins to function more like a business, and businesses are big on entrepreneurship. This goes back to 1985 and, and a couple um, with the last name of Pinochet who published a work on entrepreneurship. If you're a business leader and you've got a team who's thinking outside the box, they're thinking creatively, you've got a person who doesn't see a problem but sees an opportunity, you're going to hang on to that person because they're going to help grow your company. The same is true in a school. You get a teacher who thinks like an entrepreneur, who does things that are innovative, that are different, that push the envelope, who gets kids out of the classroom, who engages them on their level. Those are the kind of teachers that create what Dan Heath calls the power of moments. And it's those power of moments that have the power to transform lives. This is what education is all about is transforming lives. And what I'm arguing is if we fill our school with people who are entrepreneurial minded, we have exponentially increased that transformation of life. And, and, and I think one of the things that it's really interesting, one of the things that we've done really good at modeling ourselves after with the big businesses is their bureaucracy. Right. So, <laughs> so true. So, so we've taken the bureaucracy and slapped it on. And one of the things that you'll hear constantly from teachers is I love what I get to do. I don't necessarily want to be an administrator, but that's the way up for me. Yes. Right? So so I, I want to personalize it a little bit because I know you shared your story with me when we talked about the future ready research. But but you're kind of in that space, too, where it's like I was a classroom teacher. Right. And then it was like, here, how did like some, how does some of this even play out for you personally? It's been huge for me personally. And it, it goes back to um, a lovely quote that, that I heard a while ago that became so applicable during COVID, which was this idea that the learners will inherit the earth. The learned will find themselves perfectly prepared for a world that no longer exists. I think for a long time in education, we look for people who are learned. They've gone to school. They've done the work. We need to be looking for learners. And what I discovered in my own career was when I embraced the learner mindset. And you know, as an English teacher, I was reading you know 50 books a year, but they're all fiction literature and nothing against that. That's great stuff and really helped my teaching. When I made the transition... So I want to think like an entrepreneur, man, I was reading Jim Collins. I was reading Stephen Covey. I was reading Pat Lencioni. That transforms your thinking. You become a learner. You take that into the classroom and you're able to bring opportunities out of problems that didn't previously exist. I would argue the path is no longer teacher, you know, assistant principal, principal head of school. The path is you create that space. You bring engagement 
And it's like Ray Kinsella with Field of Dreams. You build it, the people will come. And that kind of mentality is inspiring. So I got to tell you, Eric, like, I, you know, early in my career, I worried a little bit about getting burned out and being one of those teachers who recycles old lessons and, you know, and everyone's like, oh, he was good way back when. I didn't want that. And in entrepreneurship, I have found a passion, a zest for education. I, I feel like I'm operating with the energy of a first year teacher, but the experience of a teacher who's been doing it for 18 years. And it is a lovely, lovely thing. I love it, man. And I love when you personalize it too. So when you think about this entrepreneurship kind of you know way of thinking, I think one of the things that I think about too is a lot of times schools will do heavy top-down organizational or systems change, right? And so it's costly, it's expensive, it's it's transitioning a whole organization to a different way of being. Whereas I think like, especially my time in Silicon Valley, where some of the best innovations have come from is when an organization will do a spinoff or when they'll, you know, do an incubator of some sorts within the organization where it's like, hey, we're not going to change who we are but we're going to create something new. And then ultimately it's, it's amazing to watch how that new thing changes who the organization is. Like what's the advantage of, of thinking differently about this and actually finding those entrepreneurs with ideas and incubating the change and the energy for change within your school? For me, it all comes down to student engagement. I mean, think about one of the main topics in education right now is we have students who, I mean, we, we could spend all, all day talking about some of our mental health issues, some of our social issues, a lot of the things that have come to us since COVID. But I would say just hands down, we have an entire generation of students who are no longer engaged in traditional education. They're cynical. They come in already knowing like you're preparing us for industries that no longer exist. And we're like, no, we're not, but we are. Okay, we are, right? Because that's what we're doing. We're still teaching the same way we taught in 1980. So what gets exciting for me is when you speed up the ROI for education. So you become a teacher, your return on investment is, hey, maybe, maybe 25 years down the road, a kid's going to come back and say, you really helped in my life. That's if, there's a lot of ifs present there. When you go down the road of engaging learners around education that is real and practical and pulling them in uh, to this kind of learning, the ROI is sped up exponentially. I've got kids coming back a semester later saying, oh my gosh, this stuff actually works. I, I, you know, I, I had a kid today say, Mr. Carter, I read James Clear, Atomic Habits, and oh my gosh, like this stuff is so good. And I'm thinking like, of course it is, right? It's compound interest and it's understanding opportunity cost. And when you take these concepts and you put them into education, it transforms lives. And the students see that in real time. That's what's so powerful. I became a teacher to get kids excited about learning. This is exciting stuff. And kids are lining up. We have the largest numbers we've ever had getting involved in entrepreneurship because they see the value add. Okay. So I've got so many, I mean, like I could go forever in so many different directions, but <laughs> one of the questions I want to ask you is, is, is just a, a, maybe small practical questions before we get into maybe some other practical questions on this part of, part of this, I think I've discovered too, is, is that when we give up our power as teachers, as adults and, and welcome students in, how, how do you give up 
that space so that then, you know, students can create? Because I think there's a practical question for the adult side of things on the back end of this too. I love that, you know, the classic hero's journey and the role that the mentor or the guide plays. That person does not lay out the entire path and hold your hand and walk you along and say, here's how you do it. That person provides the necessary catalyst that gets those ideas going. To me, that's what's so powerful. It means giving up, like you said, giving up control. It means entering and embracing what can often be a state of chaos. And it can look like chaos, right? Like you'll have someone walk by and they're like, what, what are they doing in there, right? You know, we're prepping for a, a fine dining event right now. I, if you'd asked me a year ago, if you'd have said like, hey, are, are you ever going to have a group of eight students start a fine dining restaurant in your teaching kitchen at a high school? I'd have said, no, that's ridiculous. Well, now that's happening and it's chaos. And there's a lot of stress and pressure, but we've got kids who are coming alive and it involved me standing to the side and making sure I'm there to ensure that no one gets hurt and no one does anything so stupid that they could be arrested or kicked out of the school. Other than that, you guys are going to go because here's the thing, the principles work and, and we've spent enough time teaching them the basics and teaching them that foundational way of thinking that now we have to embrace failure and the potential for that. But since we've redefined failure as not trying in the first place, we now have to encourage them to try because that's now the working definition. Okay, perfect. Because my practical question then is for school leaders. So how do you speak up to school leaders that say, hey, this sounds great for my students? You know, but they're not ready for it for their teachers. Right. <laughs> or they haven't thought about it for their teachers or for their organization. Like, what are those practical things that then, if in, as you think about the leaders above you who've given you the opportunities or created the space for entrepreneurialism at a place like CHCA, but what would be a couple practical like things that as a leader, here's what you could do to create to to in some ways be comfortable creating this chaos in your school and knowing right. that, you know what, there's heavy, high trust in your people, but because there's high trust in your people and the work that you've done, that it that there's going to be a payout on the back end. And, and Eric, I, I do want to preface this by saying that the entire conversation we're having is essentially controversial in that it, it flies at the root of everything that's traditional education. And so I, I preface this comment in saying that because some of this is it doesn't it doesn't work for everybody and it scares some people. I've shared these thoughts and I've had people say, nope, 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 nope. And then I've had some people say, yes, yes, yes. So to the yes, yes, yes people, here's here's what I would say. The, the concept is out there, right? Liz Wiseman calls them impact players. Seth Godin calls them linchpins. Uh, Ron Clark, right? Uh, CEO of the Ron Clark Academy. He's got a great book called Move Your Bus. He calls them runners. He identifies the runners, the joggers, the walkers, and the riders in your organization. Here's what I'd say to school leaders. We're not talking about opening the floodgates for every teacher to begin acting independently, creating crazy programming. We're not talking about like completely falling into chaos, right? That, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about identifying those impact players in your organization who need a little bit more freedom. They need a little bit more autonomy and they need some resources, all right? I mean, I, I can't tell you how frustrated I get when a school is like, oh, I want that. Oh, but we can't. 
we can't afford that. And I'm like, okay, how much did you spend on chemistry textbooks last year? Oh, well, we needed new additions. Did you though? Because he, here's the thing. We, the money, the money is, 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 should, should not be the chief concern. Student engagement should be the chief concern. And if you've got a teacher who is crushing it and that teacher says, Hey, I need $15,000. Cause there's this event I'm going to host. That's going to get all kinds of attention and students excited. You better believe that teacher is going to get $15,000. Or even better, this is one of the things I talk about, give them resources, but not too many. Give them 10,000 and say, come up with the rest. And then maybe they go and they find a sponsor. Maybe they get creative. Maybe they, they start thinking. But an, an entrepreneurial culture is a trickle-down effect. We all know this, right? It's, it's innate. It's going to trickle down from the top. You can't have students thinking like entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs if you don't have teachers in the classroom teaching that way. And you can't have teachers in the classroom if you don't have administrators allowing for freedom, autonomy, and resources. Well, and I love your point, right, too, where it's like it's not everybody. And, and it's, it's that place where it's like, you know what, look for the small investments, look for the small investments that have big payoff and see where it takes you, right? Yes, we'll try that and see where it takes you. Cause a lot of your story is we tried and it took us to that next place and it took us to that next place. What, what would be, you know, one of the things like you, you mentioned Jim Collins and I wrote, I wrote an article a few years ago about his bus analogy. And I hate that bus analogy because nobody <laughs> likes riding the bus uh, that I know of, but, but it is that place. Like one, what's when you get to this place of, of entrepreneurialism, and I've seen it where schools will build up these entrepreneurs, they'll build up these great programs. They'll do some of these alternative things, or they'll do some of these things, even within an English curriculum. I've seen some of these create amazing programs. And then that person then gets kind of hits a ceiling where mm -hmm. it's like, I'm still riding on the same bus. What keeps you coming back or what would be the practical thing that says, Hey, as someone kind of excels in these places, how do you just let them in some ways rebuild the bus? It's, it's a great question, Eric. And it's a question that I, I think has so many different answers to it because it's two-sided. It's about the individual we'll say impact player. And it's also about the administrator An administrator can give freedom all day, but that person's going to have to step out of the cage to embrace that freedom. Right. Then you can have someone who wants nothing but freedom and to get out of those confines, but the administrator is sitting on the lock. So it's this idea of understanding that value add. You mentioned of those those small investments that have big payoffs. It's a lot like the uh, the famous Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, where 80% of your results are coming from 20% of your investment. I would say as an administrator, we need to know our people. We need to know what they want. Are they hungry for more? Um, a great, you know, great litmus test for this is to look at what they've done, kind of get a, get a sense for where they want to go and give them the freedom to do that if that's something they want. For myself, I discovered early on I have to have new challenges. Without new challenges, I fall into apathy. If I'm in apathy, my students are in apathy. We're not good. So I've got to push myself. And that means I've got to push my administration. I mean, depending on the day of the week, you might talk to uh, to, to Dr. Dean Nicholas, our head of school, and he might be like, oh yeah, Stephen, he's doing great things. Or he'll be like, oh man, Stephen's giving me headaches. Because that, I mean, that's it, right? Like I'm going to keep pushing and I will keep driving and I'll keep moving forward. And I'll meet with Dean and say, is this vision still within your vision of where you want the school to go? 
right? Because I can't stop. If I stop, it, it, it's like it's like the, the the compound effect, right? You're either moving forwards or you're moving backwards. There's no status quo. And I cannot allow myself to stop moving forwards because that's the nature of my personality. But I have found an environment where at least most of the time that's encouraged. And when it's not encouraged, we butt heads and figure it out and move on. And I think that's healthy. I love that healthiness because what I've seen with some of this entrepreneurialism in schools in particular is that sometimes people create an alternative organization. You know, they create a siloed alternative, really cool learning experience program that really isn't about this, the missional impact of the school. And it's, it's you have here's the school and then here's that really cool thing that that person's doing or leading. And it becomes an alternative to that. So that conversation that you have with Dean going back and forth, like, tell me, is this the direction we're going? Is this the missional nature of the school? Does this and the budding heads and the healthy nature of that ongoing conversation? So important. You know, as, as we close up a little bit of time, what would you say to the teachers? We come to the end of the school year because I always found this for myself. And, and I'm in a little bit of a unique situation because I'm in shutdown and I'm a little bit like you where it's the new ideas and what can we create? And that was the fun part of me being, you know, in, in a department, you know, in a big public school where they let me recreate curriculum all the time and do some really cool programming stuff and to take over things and then opportunities to be a part of school startups or turnarounds and so I, a lot of this resonates with me. What would you say to that to that teacher that's at that place where it's like, you know, I'm pretty good at what I do, but but there's different ways we could do it. What would you say to them to encourage them to have some of these conversations with their leaders or some of the next steps that they could take that says, hey, you know what? I care about my school. I care about my organization. I want to be here. And I see a way forward for me to do more and have greater impact. Yeah, absolutely. And and you've, you've outlined uh, several good questions to ask. I mean, the first question is, are you at a school where the culture encourages your growth? If you're at a fixed mindset school that's run by people with a fixed mindset, I'm gonna tell you right now, you're never gonna be happy if you've got a growth mindset. That's just pure and simple. Like You've got to put yourself in the environment where you can thrive. And there are plenty of schools out there that are run by growth mindset individuals. Now, if you're in that kind of environment, what I would say is you don't start by creating this massive, new, large, you know, intense undertaking. You start small. You test the principles. Here's what I love about teaching. You are given a laboratory to test these innovative techniques and these theories on in real time. So, I mean, you can say, like, I've got this idea. Well, guess what? Try it. Try it. Does it work? Cool. Make it a little bigger than next year, a little bigger than next year. People look at the entrepreneurship program at CHDA and they're like, oh my gosh, we want to build that at our school. I'm like, okay, guess what? We've been building it for 10 years. Okay. 10 years. It's, it's the whole idea from uh, Sam Walton's Made in America, where he's like, like most overnight successes, it was 20 years in the making. It's, you know, you, you mentioned Jim Collins. It's the flywheel. You got to start pushing the wheel but it's going to take a while for that wheel to move. And once it's moving, oh, does it get exciting? I love it. I love, this is such a good conversation. And, and I can't wait for you to keep pushing more on this and for others to share. Give us one last thing. Like as you think about this idea of entrepreneurship, give us one last thing 
that you're like, you know what, if you're, if, 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 if you can catalyze this in your school, it just give us that one final thought as we, as we kind of lead out today. It's the water cooler. It's the bane of every administrator's existence in a school. It's called the faculty lunchroom. It's where you go to complain. It's where you go to gripe. It's where you go to talk bad about all the stuff that you dislike. Here's what I'm going to tell you right now. The entrepreneur does not see problems. They are allergic to problems. They will walk away from you when you start telling them about your problems. Because to them, problems are opportunities. You start thinking like that, you will change your life. You will change the lives of your students and you will change the entire culture of your school from the inside out. Steven, amazing last word, amazing last word. How can people get connected with you, learn more about you, your work, your writing, and then even the cool stuff that you're doing at CHCA? I'd love to hear from you. My my email is, uh, it's with a ph, stephen.carter at chca-oh.org. Read about Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. Look at our entrepreneurship program website. I've got a book that's coming out in August called Teaching the Entrepreneurial Mindset. Reach out. I'll send you a free copy. I want to get the information out there. I want to see real change in schools and in the lives of students. Thank you, Stephen.